According to Wikipedia, the separation of church and state is a philosophic and jurisprudential concept for defining political distance in the relationship between religious organizations and the state. Conceptually, the term refers to the creation of a secular state with or without legally explicit church-state separation and to disestablishment, the changing of an existing formal relationship between the church and the state. In today's podcast, I sit down with lead pastor of Friendship Baptist Church in Yerba Linda, California, Pastor Kenneth Curry. The church known as The Ship is an African-American Baptist church in Orange County, North Orange County, California. And we discuss the state of his church during a pandemic and race riots. Please continue to listen. With Trent the Jet, they like agents on top of pavements, peppermint patty fragrance. Taking the credits when they spits and spritz a chip and dip a dip and dare I pin the tail. Death throw the penalty ID, throwing identity, theft crime in the night. Pick pop, key the lock, stop, drop, roll the dice, double double dough, eat the rock road. Rochambeau, tic tac toe, crossing a road with the nice flow. With my industry, you see me room, room, play Monopoly. With my commodities, stop the eyes and cross the teeth. How do you do, Venters? So today, I am in the city of Yorba Linda once again. And I am in the... Um, in Orange County, obviously, and I'm at the Friendship Baptist Church, which is also known as The Ship. And our guest today is my friend and the pastor of Friendship Baptist Church, Pastor Kenneth Curry. So, Pastor Curry, I want to welcome you to Vent with Trent the Gent. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you, man. Good. So... On every episode of Vent with Trent the Gent, we always have certain segments, and we probably won't get to those typical segments today because of all the things that's going on in the world. Right. There's so, a lot going on. Exactly. But we always start in the beginning, and so I definitely want to do that. So since you are a Los Angeles native, I am a Los Angeles native. And with everything that's going on in the world right now, like in our city that we grew up in, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the looting, and I don't even want to call it unlawful assemblies, but however anybody wants to term it, just what's going on in our cities of L.A. where we grew up in. What are, what are your thoughts on, on, on what's going on? Well, Trent, first, let me just say again, I appreciate the opportunity to be on your, your show, your broadcast. Uh, your your podcast. Uh, I, I appreciate you and what you do and what you stand for. Um, I'm a native of, 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 of California, native of Los Angeles, born and raised. And as I put out to our congregation yesterday, I'm grieving. I, I really am grieving. I've been grieving all week since we found out about George Floyd. And it just perpetually has gotten worse for me. Uh, and then Saturday night just became a lot uh, as we watched what unfolded in Los Angeles and then yesterday with um, 
Long Beach, uh, areas I'm, I'm familiar with. I have family and friends in those areas, and I'm grieved. I believe we have a right to protest. I believe that we have a responsibility to protest. And so uh, we need to be able to stand up and speak uh, about the injustices that happen in these United States of America that have been consistent. And my personal belief is that people think because we had an African-American president that some of this stuff went away. And so now that it's bubbling back over, the, the, the attitude, the mindset is why, why now? But it's never, systemic racism hasn't been dealt with, specifically to your question. As it deals with LA, I'm broken. Uh, I was a freshman in college coming back from Oral Roberts University in May of uh, 1992. And my dad had to meet me in Barstow because Los Angeles was involved in riots and he was concerned that I'd come into that as I drove in. Uh, and so he and my grandfather met me coming. And I see the same thing I saw then. Now, I was. 18 years old, not quite 19, just finished my, my freshman year. I'm 46 years old. I'll be 47 in September. So we're talking 20, 27 years later, and they we're in the same predicament because we have not dealt with these issues effectively or righteously. Um, and so I'm, I'm grieved. Uh, I think that we have the opportunity. We should be able to, to protest. I am hurt by the looting. I am hurt by the destruction of property. Uh, I am also concerned we're still in the middle of a worldwide pandemic that we have already found out affects African-Americans more than it does anyone else. And there are disparities there. And they've had to close testing sites. And even though people are in a rush to get back to normalcy, air quotes, that there is still issues that have to be addressed uh, in terms of getting enough testing, where it happens, helping us to track and trace this virus. Uh, and I'm concerned. I'm concerned we're going to see a, an outbreak uh, because of everything that's gone on. Uh, but I also know that, you know, you shake up a bottle of Coke or a can of Coke and then open it. It just comes out. And I think I don't have research or proof. But I think even some of the the way these stay-at-home orders have, have, have been enacted is part of the problem, too. And would love to see research happen on it. But I, I've, I've said enough. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Thank you for that. So you mentioned Oral Roberts, uh -huh. and I knew that you attended Oral Roberts. And you're probably well aware that yesterday was the 99th anniversary for some reason i feel weird saying anniversary but the 99th anniversary of the burning and destruction of black wall street yes sir so Greenwood. which was in tulsa oklahoma yeah. where yeah. or roberts is located so what is i mean obviously you weren't around in 1921 but being at oral roberts was there anything in that history that did you learn about that at Oral Roberts? Yeah, and what I, what can you share with us about the burning of Black Wall Streets and the similarities of or the hypocrisies that's going on today? So um, I didn't learn anything specifically at ORU. Uh, and, and I just want to say that while a student at ORU, we saw a lot of differences. Uh, there were some uh, students at uh, Langston, which is an HBCU in uh, Oklahoma, that felt that ORU had almost the same amount of African-American students as they had. Uh, uh, from my perspective, uh, Oral really worked to uh, 
right some of the wrongs and injustices that had happened for African-Americans. My grandfather, I didn't know until I went to Oral Roberts University, and I went there uh, specifically because I felt like that's where God told me to go. My mother was very concerned about me going someplace where there had been, she had heard enough history, there had been uh, uh, the, the Greenwood uh, uh, situation, Black Wall Street, um, and the the, the the riots, lynchings, mob uh, that took place there. And I just had to convince her that this was what God wanted me to do. And so I went. Uh, and so I didn't learn at school, but Oral was one of the first um, evangelists of his type to desegregate his, his, his tent meetings and the like. He was one of the first to do that. And so there were a lot of people that just respected him for, for that. There were people like my grandfather that sent him, you know, $5 a month and were very faithful to him. And when their grandchildren specifically got of age and go to college, there were a, a, a large African-American population or you in my day. I don't know what it looks like now. And, you know, those things ebb and flow and they mm -hmm. change. Uh, but that, that was the case uh, then. But we still had issues of uh, racism and issues of classism that that still happened there. I don't I don't say from the administration, but surely from some you know other students that had different backgrounds and understandings, um, even culturally in terms of how we worship, all of that type of thing. But as the more I got involved in the community, uh, I started going to uh, Carlton Pearson's church uh, when I was there. Uh, and so I went to Higher Dimensions. But uh, the longer I was there, I got involved in the Northside community. Tulsa was very much divided north and south. Northside was where black uh, blacks lived, African-Americans lived, and Southside, more Caucasian communities. Of course, there was diversity and mixing, especially around the uh, university itself. But there was, there was definitely a difference in North Tulsa versus South Tulsa. And then it is in the middle where uh, uh, Greenwood was. And so uh, over time, I had a good friend, uh, Rita Duncan, who was a professor with Tulsa Community College. I got a chance to learn from her. And it was during my time in Tulsa. I spent 10 years, roughly, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, four to go to school to get my first degree, another year to get the second degree, and then I stayed there and worked in the city. It was in that last five years that the resurgence of the history of uh, Tulsa and the Greenwood uh, uh, community came up. Uh, there was, uh, they they uh, built the Greenwood Cultural Center, I, I have to keep saying, not saying the Cultural Center, but they did that. There was a church that opened uh, uh Greenwood, I think it was Christian Center, and it was pastored by a, uh, uh, a Caucasian gentleman who had been with Carlton Pearson, so he had a huge African-American uh, population. Interestingly enough, uh, I believe it is, his name is Michael Todd, is the new pastor there, and so uh, I'm, I'm very familiar. They, they, they actually opened their church in the premier location I wanted. Uh, it's, it's not far from uh, Greenwood Cultural Center. I was serving at churches. I always felt if we bought that property and put a church there, and there was there had been a um, grocery store, and they opened it there. So it brought all this attention back to North Tulsa. And when I left, North, North Tulsa was experiencing a resurgence, if you will, a growth pattern. But Greenwood Cultural Center was a, a, a big part of that because they had to recapture that history. And the last thing I want to say is that when I visited the um, uh, National African American Museum uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, it was good to see that there was a 
uh, a display that there was uh, some information on Greenwood and what took place there uh, almost 99 years ago now. Uh, and so just, or not almost, 99 yeah. years ago. Yesterday. And so, uh, as of yesterday. And so um, it, 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 it brought a lot to mind. Uh, you know, I had seen, I think that the movie was Rosewood and, you know, to be able to 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 know this history um, and to see the disparities. And it even made things make better sense as to why there was such a divide between North Tulsa and South Tulsa. So bringing that relative to today, what's uh -huh. going on, and obviously there's... It's not just happening in Los Angeles. It's, it's happening th it's, throughout well, I our mean, the, country. The last news I saw uh, yesterday was that it was 30 cities across. And then, you know, they're, they're, they're going to clump everything in, in California into one, right? But, I mean, even uh, uh, Long Beach is, diff is different than uh, L.A. But uh, at least 30 cities, maybe more, around these United States of America have experienced some type of... Uh, 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 not only protests, but subsequent uh, rioting and right. violence. And so my point is, if we go back to the burning of Black Wall Street, mm -hmm. when the, a black man was accused of trying to, to rape a white lady, Sarah Page, right? right? And so that resulted in the rush to judgment of the whites in the area, probably from the South, right? <laughs> and they didn't wait for the investigation. And then within two days, you right, you had those unprecedented violence that, that took place. And that affected many blocks of that area went up in flames. Right? 300 people died, I believe it was, 800 injured. And right, this was all caused because they came to the defense of the white lady virtues, right? And so now what I'm trying to ask you is, now that it's flipped and whatever's going on in America is coming to the defenseless virtue of an African-American man, why, why is this any different than what happened in 1921? I don't think it's any different. To be quite honest, I don't think it's any different, um, but I think that the mentality uh, is different, not 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 meaning from the protesters, but from those who, for lack of a better way to put it, are on the opposite end or on the the or receiving the protest. They don't see it and they don't know the history. They don't see it in the same way that you and I, uh, Trent, see it to be able to say that uh, 99 years ago uh, when this city went crazy and they from. Some of the research and stuff I heard, the most they think he did really was whistle at a white woman. And they're not sure that he was not just whistling in, you know, he was happy, but they took it like he was whistling at her. I mean, there's a whole lot to, to really get to the bottom of it. But you're right. They 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 rushed her 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 virtuous defense. 
tear up a city and kill African Americans. And now we say that this is this doesn't make sense. This is crazy. I, I don't think it's any different. And I think that we have to, you know, I, I've heard people say speak truth to power. I think it's even it's more than just speaking truth to power. We need to contextualize just like you just did. See, that's a conversation that's not happening. There people aren't saying, well let's go back historically and look at what has happened when the other side, right, has has brought up issues. I think that we need to be able to contextualize this, have the, the conversation, free exchange, and be fair with one another. Um, but I don't think that that happens. And I think that some people are trying, but by and large, that's not, that's not the, that's not the position. Totally. It, let's talk about the way America was built. And, and so what I'm trying to get at is right now, obviously, I'm trying to tiptoe around it, <laughs> right? But it has a, most of the things that we have attained in America, we've gotten that through some type of violence, okay. correct? Well, I mean, would you say that's no, say that. true? And so once again, I'm, I'm just trying to get at the hypocrisy of it. And I don't think you and I, neither one of us, are condoning violence. No, sir. But we're just saying, in certain aspects in our history, it was fine to do that, to get what we want. But when another sector of, of different communities is doing that, then it's barbaric. And it's, yeah. right, it's like, why would you do that? Why are you tearing down your communities? And so, once again, I'm just trying to understand why why is in some cases it's okay, but in others it's just not? Yeah, it's, I think that the issue trend is that it's been uh, contextualized or recontextualized differently. Then it was seen as a necessity. Now it is not seen as a necessity. We have come further than this. And back to my point, and I'm, uh, it's my point, and I'm sticking to it. We've had an African American president. We've solved or dealt with the racism issue in this country, and that's not true. Um, and so when you look at it from a different perspective and not look at it at all sides, look at it at all possibilities, look at what could be and should be. Um, then you have this issue. But there are people that, that, that don't go back and deal with it. And racism in this country is systemic. It is steeped in. I remember, and I have a, a great memory, I remember <laughs> being a 10th grader at Venice High School attending their magnet program. And uh, they had a thing where you had to be in your seat by a certain time when the bell rang. And if not, you had to go get a tardy. Even if you were in the room and weren't in your seat, you had to go get a tardy slip. Then you had to come back. And it was a big deal. I was I was doing well in this biology class, and I wasn't in my seat. But uh, Dr. Komodo wasn't going to send me to the tardy room. And these two uh, uh, Caucasian young men, Adam and Jeff, I remember their names, uh, uh, said something smart to me. I said something smart back. That was minor. But the next thing they said was that, you know, uh, uh, well, you look like an ape. And my response back was like, you know, where that come from? And I may have said something else. And they said, well, just remember who looks more like an ape than me. And I said, oh, I realized it was racism. And I said, well, there are things known as white apes. We're going back and forth. He said, well, just remember whose great-great-granddaddy probably owned your great-great-granddaddy. And I went and picked up the chair to get him. 
and they stopped me before I made a, a, a major mistake. I still had to be suspended, but I remember as a 10th grader saying to the coordinator of our magnet program then that this place has racism. It is there. And he, that was, I was 10th grade, so what, 15 years old? being bussed out of L.A. into Venice to go to school. And, and I don't see it any different. It may sound a little different, but we haven't dealt with that kind of stuff. What changes people? There, there's nothing that has changed, even as an individual that works with evangelicals. And I pull back from some of these evangelical meetings. And when I say evangelicals, I mean white evangelicals. I pull back because I feel like there was a difference in how they treated Barack Obama and then how they treat uh, President Trump, President Barack Obama and President Trump. And I have a problem with it. You can say you disagree with a man on their, their, their causes and their issues. I have no problem with that. But when you don't see that this president is xenophobic, that he is, is he's, he's, uh, he's a, a racist in his commentary and even uh, 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 has issues with women, that, that, that you can't call him on it, you can't say anything, you just see the Supreme Court nominations as important to you, you just see, there's a problem for me, and I begin to pull back, that you can't even say he's wrong. There were things I didn't agree with President Barack Obama on, but I can at least say that. They won't even say that in this context, because it's, it's party over everything else, and they'll look the other way. So, xenophobic or racist. not, <laughs> racist or not, and now we're going to move into what's going on. Well, I mean, we can go wherever we want to go. Yeah, but I'm saying, you, you but, got but, the conversation. But now, but, but no, but now we're going to move into President Trump is actually the one pushing to get churches reopened. Mm -hmm. So, what are your feelings on, My on feelings that? My feelings on that is that President Trump is only concerned about uh, his base, and part of his base, not all of his base, includes these white, predominantly white, evangelical churches. And I don't think he nor these pastors of these churches have taken into consideration what happens for African-American churches of any size. I, and I know that you've read, but to know how many losses have taken place, for example, in the Church of God in Christ, which is a predominantly African-American uh, denomination, which has its starts with the Assemblies of God. They were together, but because of racism, they had to split. So you have Church of God in Christ and Assemblies of God who are essentially the same people. One is white, one is black. Um, um, because of that, that no one is... Uh, looking at what the issues are for us, for African-American churches. And specifically when you start to have an older demographic, many of our African-American churches are being held together by the funds and finances of our demographic, 60 years old and over. Mm. Um, and so um, while I would love to be able to embrace my people, I want them here. I also know I need to keep them safe and I need to be thinking through other means. I would be devastated if I just defied orders and brought people uh, back. And even uh, as far as my perspective, and I get to have it, uh, even as many of these uh, evangelicals had threatened to open their churches on, on, on this past Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, my view is you can't make your own move of God. It would have been different if everything aligned well and 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 all of a sudden, we can open our churches uh, on Pentecost Sunday. Then we can say that was God. But when you look at the calendar, 
as some of my evangelical brothers, specifically one uh, at one of the Calvary chapels, did and say, this is the date. We're going we gonna, we gonna to reinvent or re-hash uh, 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 or open up, again, Pentecost Sunday and make it the, the, the reopening of the church. I don't think you can do that. You have to take into consideration that there are issues that are still not being addressed. I'm not even talking about race. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the fact that we've not done enough testing. Let's talk about the fact that when, when we start to do more testing, we actually find more cases. Let's talk about the fact that we don't have a clear understanding of the disease. First, they tell us hard surfaces. So I, I start to make a plan. If we come back, we got to clean this. Now they're saying it doesn't stay on hard surfaces. First, they tell you leave doors open so people don't have to touch the doors. It, all of this stuff is still very fluid. And so even when I talked to my people and I said, we did a survey, just trying to get a sense of what's important to our members, not to say this is going to tell us when we open, because I believe in listening to the science and the directives, uh, but to get a sense of what's important to our uh, people. Everyone's, even my leaders were like, well, Pastor, when are you planning? I said, I really don't know. I need to hear the guidelines. Trent, we closed our church or for meeting on campus when they told us 250 or more. We were one of the first. There were other African-American pastors that said, Curry, you're really brave. I said, no, I have to take care of my people. And they were saying, you're, you're, you're a leader. I don't know if I see all of that stuff, okay? I, I, don't, I don't try to uh, puff myself up. Here's what I know. I needed to make a decision. And we weren't, uh, we were not prepared to do, uh, to, to try. If we see at one service anywhere from 350 to 500, at the other service, 300 to 400. So at the max, I could have seen 900 people that day. And if based on the rules, I could only see five. Who was I going to turn away? Well, probably the elderly. Okay. Because they're going to be the ones. But then yes. it's discriminatory. Yes, exactly. You know what I'm and so there, there was going to be an issue there. We just, and what we did is that day, it was, this was like Thursday, right? Before Sunday, I, I, I polished off a sermon. I uh, pulled my team together and said, we're, we're recording this service today for Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've continued to record just because we can fix sound quality. We can put together quality service. We can plan through other pieces that we feed into the service so members stay connected to each other. And even as we started talking about coming back, I didn't know what that was going to look like. And so when people say, oh, no, we'll just stay the way we are, it, this has been more work. I don't know if you talked to other pastors. No, I haven't. But this has been more work than I've ever done. And they don't teach you anything in seminary about leading through a pandemic. They don't teach you. I, I'm, I'm, I am Zoom fatigued. I am online. I really am. Because you because people can get more meetings in. In a yes. day, you're having conversations you're doing. But for me, I want to keep this congregation safe. So Monday before last, a week ago today, when the governor uh, released his his guidelines, he says 100 is your max. They can say 25% of your capacity. 25% of our capacity would be 200. If we close the church at 250, then what would be the point of trying to open up to have live service or bring people back? And they're still not clear. There's some places saying... Don't open your bathroom. So you have a service and then you don't open your bathroom. Yeah, so you <laughs> How's have, that going to work? Oh, but, but these are some of the guidelines. I'm, I'm telling you. You have to take into the totality because they're worried about uh, 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 people not washing their hands good or whatever the case may be. Or you got to send someone in regularly to clean. But there's a lot of things. And, and it's not like these things are given to you in a vacuum. 
your members are able to read these very same guidelines. And so you also open your up to yourself up to more people's opinions. And then I want to make sure that we're doing it right. So my team's job now is, besides just me, because I've been keeping up with this, I'm on information overload. Let's figure out what are our opportunities. But our position was maybe this will last just a little while and we will, you know, uh, get back and we, you know, but this is, this is going a little longer. So now we've got to figure out how do we be the church and everything we do be virtual and not cancel anything. Cause we've been canceling stuff cause we're like, Oh, it's temporary. Let's see what happens. Oh, it's temporary. Now you got to figure out how do we reimagine all of this? Because this may go on at least till the end of the year. Most places that I'm hearing around the country and you stop me whenever you want me to stop. Oh, no, keep going. Um, uh, most places around the country, especially African-American churches are talking. They don't see themselves coming back till the end of the year. And that's to keep everyone safe, to keep everyone safe. Um, I was on a, 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 uh, UMI, Urban Ministries Inc. did a thing with, uh, and I can't pull up his name, mm -hmm. but he did. They did a um, online on their from their uh, Facebook. It was a Zoom call with. Uh, there's a pastor in Chicago who is. Um, I can't see. I can see him. I can't pull up his name. Who is a? Um, who is a? He's also a medical doctor. He's a pastor, he's a bishop, and he's a medical doctor. And then they had. Uh, one of the uh, African-American, uh, I think she's either the current president or former president of the AMA. Um, and uh, they were talking about uh, when and if and how churches come back. Um, and I didn't get as much information as I thought I was going to get, but I did get an understanding of some of the factors that we have to consider. What's happening in the community, what's happening with community tracing and, and, and spread and all of those things. Um, and it was it made for an interesting insight for me um, that still has me very concerned, very concerned when 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 approximately 50 of my 50 percent of my people uh, and that may be a high number, but 50 percent of my people commute in to uh, our church. And so everyone's community spread is going to be different. And uh, so there those are things that I have to be concerned about and look at. And so I'm getting great support from our congregation when I say, look, this stays the way it is right now. Uh, we'll have the ongoing conversation. And as I get more information, we will update you and change. But right now at 100 is, is the max. There's nothing for, there's no reason for anything to change. Now, I do need to investigate how do I make it easier on me and my body? Because, you know, you, you start, we've been pressing for 10 weeks. Um, I'm doing an online Bible study Tuesday or Wednesday. I record on Thursday. You've got to write. And I mean, all of that takes time. You, you, you get it. And so I just have to, I have to figure out how to take care of me um, in that. And my congregation is concerned about that. But we, 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 we figure it out from here. Yeah. So unlike what we're choosing to do to open up America, Right, we're choosing, and this is my opinion, we're choosing economics over safety. Right? You, and for your congregation, you're choosing safety over economics. So yeah. how, the longer this goes, I mean, and I guess there's a way to tithe virtually. And so, and, you know, I don't need to get into all, all your numbers economically, but I'm trying to ask you, how long can you go? Yeah. Has right, anything right changed now, economically? Right now we're solid. Mm -hmm. We've not seen a drop in our giving. We're stable. 
Um, it was a little shaky when we started, um, but we are stable. And as long as we're able to stay stable, we've continued operations. We know times are hard. We still take care of our staff. I communicate that to our members. Um, there's, there's a team of us that work on providing a service. Um, and so we work within the guidelines. Uh, um, we've all, you know, friendship historically has been very choir driven. We've moved to praise teams only. We space people out. We wear masks coming in. Uh, it is difficult to preach to an empty, virtually empty room, uh, but we do it. <laughs> my people feel like, they feel like pastor is like, it's a full house, but I just, I have to psych myself up and say, uh, your audience is, is, is in that camera. And so I look at the camera a lot. Um, I'm very manuscript preacher, so it is tough, but I, I really work hard at it. Um, but we're, we're stable. Yeah. We're paying our bills. Um, there are some things you're not, you're not spending money on now. I mean, you still, you, you, you first thing people think is, is heat and air and all that stuff. When your biggest day is Sunday, um, uh, you know, I think that stuff may be, and I don't have all the numbers in my head. That might be down a third. You still have to light the campus at night. You still, you know, there's some residual lighting uh, that has to be on. So there's not, it's not the biggest drop. You're on these programs that, that give you kind of the, a similar bill each month. So that stuff hasn't really changed. Uh, but we're, we're stable. We're not, we're not hurting. I haven't had to lay off anybody. Um, so we've been doing what we know to do. And then we're working on providing, we're just providing ministry. Uh, to the best of our ability, keeping connected. When we first got here, we started contacting all of our elderly members. Uh, the only trip, the only thing that I regret in all of this stuff is that we didn't have a chance to train people. And so we're going back and some of this we'll have to do virtually. Um, but we didn't have a chance to train people on using some of this technology. We had already had an app. We had already uh, started streaming our service. I mean, we had we worked around some other stuff. Our, 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 I'll admit our original um, stream was they got what they got. You know, the main thing was what happened in the house. And the reason we record is because we can fix the sound. We can work on some things. Um, we are we're now investing money because we figure we're going to be online more so that the sound is better, so that if we do a live service, which has 100 or less in it, uh, which what would help is that it give me two or three more days to get ready, right? Mm -hmm. um, and give me some built-in rest because right now, by the time I rest, I'm exhausted. And then you, you're revving back up. And then there's this stuff, you still got people's stuff to do and, and, and members to, to minister to and this type of thing to do because you still want to be community involved. Being with you today is community involvement for me. Uh, I'll talk to one of the city council members here in your Belinda later. So my just because of everything that's gone on this weekend, I probably have five things I've been invited to do now. And I'm, I'm prepared for that. But now that eats out of Bible reading, that eats out of writing my Bible study for Wednesday, eats out of writing a sermon for Thursday. Um, and this is important to me. Um, so I'm not complaining. I'm just, just oh, saying. Oh, yeah, no, I get it. So that's what I look at in terms of, but we're investing money uh, in that. We're investing uh, money in how it looks. We're learning 
things. I look at everybody's stream. I look at my Caucasian brothers and sisters. I look at other African-American churches. I look at churches smaller than us. I look at them bigger than us. I gain ideas from everybody. My staff gets tired of me saying, hey, look at this. I like what they do here. Look at this. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm learning. But my people will tell you they were grateful. Now, they didn't give me, they gave me a lot of flack when I started us on this whole technology piece. But when um, this hit, they were extremely positive and extremely grateful. They're like, Pastor, we know we gave you a lot on it because they, they felt like I was getting church ready for people that weren't here. And we didn't know that I was actually getting ready for them, right? Because necessity said we had to be able to do it. So we can do a myriad of things, uh, push notifications. I have friends that go, you know, uh, they're impressed with our app. I have a team that when we, we even though our service was pre-recorded, -re pre we push it like we were having our regular service. So we push it at 8, we push it again at 11.30. Uh, the best thing that has come out of this is I have been working for months to get us down because we're a traditional African-American church. We were at two hours. I've been working to get us down to at least 90 minutes. <laughs> we're down to about an hour and 15 minutes. Nice. And when we have communion, it's it's a little longer. Uh, but And we, we've we been able to tell people to get their own elements, you know, and then we figured out ways to engage. Send us a picture of you taking communion. Send us a picture of you in front of the TV watching the stream. And we put that stuff on, on social media. So we've been working that kind of stuff out and figuring out how best to, to minister to this congregation. Uh, and I'm getting, I, I walked in today, some of the mail I looked at, people who, who may not be as technologically savvy want me to know that they are, uh, they are following us, they're watching, they appreciate what we're doing. Um, and so my only regret, as I said, was we didn't get to do enough training. And I'm still working. I have a, I have a it's not a huge piece, but there's a part of us that they're older, so they don't know. Unless their grandchild comes over and they, they don't always come, they can't get on to our stuff. I would have loved to have been able, especially for a lot of these people, they now have these big screen TVs, and there's ways to to get, you know, most of these TVs all have a web browser now, which when I'm home, that's how I watch it. Um, but uh, we could have trained them or sent someone to help them, which was my next phase of my plan. But I can't send people into folks' homes now, you know what I'm saying, because of the virus. Um, but that's my only regret. So I wish we could have done some other training. We're going, some of my colleagues across the country, I told you, I watch other people, they're doing where when they broadcast their service, people can also hear it mm. and dial in like on a, so we're trying to figure that piece out. We've got, there's some technical things we got to figure out, but we're going to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I'm, I'm encouraging people to like, share, and, uh, you know, all of that stuff, our, our content, we're seeing a growth on our YouTube, uh, page, Facebook, uh, and I am, uh, uh, because I don't want to get caught up in it. I don't have any of that, but I, I watch it. I pay attention. Um, and uh, we're using it to the best of our ability. We thought about doing a thing, kind of a, 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 a rally or a thing to push Pastor Curry towards uh, social media. I just, I really don't have the, the time. Just text messages are a lot for me, right? I couldn't, I don't know that I could do Facebook and Twitter and all of that, but hey, I'm, I'm doing it. I got exactly. a team. And I'm grateful for, I lead, but I'm grateful for the team. And one of these things, I said in a video I did yesterday, I'm leading in real time. This is not like I get a chance to figure it out. I'm having to do this in real time. And uh, it's coming together. Um, um, I want to finish. I'm, I'm all but dissertation on this, on my doctorate. I want to finish that. And I, I think I owe it to myself to do that. So I'm trying to figure out what's my plan to get that done. 
Um, before this, we had had a lot of uh, death. Our church just aging, and then we had unexpected death. So I've dealt a lot with that. I am very grateful that we've not had a lot of that. I think because we took precautions early. When we first started to hear about this, we stopped uh, hand-holding in service. We stopped. We used to have a 60-second meeting greet time. Soon as we heard that there was some issue, we stopped it. I used to stand at the door and shake everybody's hand as they left. We stopped that. So we stopped that two, three weeks before we went to... Did, uh, you, did you have a communion close to before the stay-at-home? Yeah, first Sunday. So the mm -hmm. first Sunday in uh, May, we passed trays with the communion in it. We don't do a collective cup or anything. And we, we weren't... We were encouraging people to wash their hands and stuff. So we well, we weren't aware that, you know, that was an issue. But you in, in our I don't have one over here. In our system, it's uh it's an all in one. So the most exposure would have been the tray, because they passed mm -hmm. it. Yes. The, our deacons and deaconess when they serve it, they wear gloves, but then each individual kind of passes it down. So that would have been our most. And then you have your individual cup, um, and and piece of bread. Um, and so we did. Um uh, and then I had people that wanted me to have it where they could pick up communion from here when we went home. And I just decided not to do any of that right now. I just, because there was, there's a lot, you yeah. know. And now, like I said, you're finding, it's still fluid. You're finding out different stuff. Yeah. Um, but God has been gracious to us. Yeah, it's kind of cool how you said, so some people have been taking communion at home yeah. and, and posting it. And yeah, so that's, yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, and we all know, like African-American churches as you mentioned earlier it's 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 all about the hymns and and chorus mm -hmm. and so in your taping of the services since the chorus can't get together to sing how how are you yeah. so, how are you doing that so we we still have been having like i said a praise team we don't have a choir mm -hmm. so we do our praise team we space them out uh and we mark all of that in terms of what we've done um, and we just, we very small group. We don't share mics. Uh, we, we want you to keep your mic, stay in your spots. So we marked it on the floor. All of that stuff is really important to us. Our band will wear masks and all of that. So you'll see that in the taping. Um, um, and so that's kind of how we work. And they're spaced that. out a little bit more too, the band. Uh, yeah, uh, to, to some extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so we work through all of that. We try to take everything that we can into consideration. We have an FA on duty that's cleaning up behind us, all that kind of stuff as well. Facility attendant, that's what FA means. And uh, we, we kind of go from there. Okay. Here's, here's the, the, the question that, that kind of blows me away. So as in the beginning of the, the podcast, I said we were in your Belinda mm -hmm. and your African-American um, church in the middle of mm -hmm. your Belinda in Orange County. And so then I looked up some some numbers. And so this is this is what I found out. So obviously Friendship Baptist Church is situated in Orange County, um, where the average household income is $125,000 versus $57,000 right, throughout America. Mm -hmm. And 
the poverty rate is only 3.8%, something like that, in your Belinda. The median property value is $792,000 for a home. So, and I got all this off the Data USA website. So, then I looked some more, and your Belinda's population is 60% white. It says 60% white alone, uh -huh. whatever that means. Does that mean like they're full white? Yeah. <laughs> okay. 19% Asian right. alone, 16% Hispanic slash Latino, Latinx, or however you want to say it nowadays. All right. And then I was like, well, where's the African American? There's not even 1%. So there was no mention of African Americans yeah. in your Belinda. Meanwhile, and I know you said 50% of your congregation commutes in, into the church. How, how did the church end up in your Belinda? Yeah. And is this true? Is this no, no those blacks? Numbers are, the, those numbers are true. And let me tell you, I received my uh, Master's of Divinity, which is the uh, uh, professional degree for pastors, in 2000 and I believe it's 2011. I think that's what it says over there. Yeah, 2011. Uh, and so I believe if not in 2010, uh, yeah, I think summer 2010, I had to do a paper uh, and I looked at those same stats. And so they're pretty stable from then. So I'm just saying 10 years ago, it was pretty much the same. So I'm not surprised at what you have. Um, friendship started 56 years ago, 1964, in Fullerton, California. African-Americans had moved in. Many of them moved in to work at Cal State Fullerton. Um, and they were regulated, if you will, to uh, an area uh, in, uh, in um, Fullerton. Uh, their, the, our original building was off of Lemon Street. The address was 706 Lemon Street. Um, but they, they had moved into this Fullerton area, and they were looking to start a church. Many of them had moved from Los Angeles. And talking with my friend, Pastor Pitts, at Second Baptist, I've not done the research myself, but he says that the uh, the law in the books was you could only start an African-American church in Santa Ana. And where, not, where he is, right? Yeah, where okay. he is. Uh, and not North Orange County. We were the first African-American church in North Orange County. Um, and they, they didn't reach, they didn't talk to any of the other pastors in, because we're 56 years old, I think second is almost 100 years, if they're not more than that. They didn't reach out there to, to you know, get help to start a church in North Orange County. They reached back to L.A. because that's where they were from. They had come to the suburbs. And uh, uh, the pastor that they reached out to, uh, Pastor K.D. Friend, had remembered a James Donald Carrington from when he taught him at Reed School of Religion and thought he might be a good candidate for the group that was trying to start a church uh, then. Uh, 1964, middle of the civil rights movement, all of that. And uh, Carrington was very much interested because a professor uh, there at, uh, at Reed School of Religion had told them, look, don't start any more churches in L.A. We got enough churches. If y'all want to start churches, go to the suburbs. So for him, Fullerton, Orange County was suburbs, and he was very interested. Um, and uh, the people, and he started to commune and talk, and they had a Bible study, and they're like, we want a church. And so they, they took steps to start a church, which they did in May of 1964. Uh, so we just celebrated our 56th birthday. 
um, and uh, they they struggled. They met in houses for the first year, uh, and then they moved uh, to an industrial area. Stayed there about two three years. Uh, that place used to train security dogs, so they had to be fumigated uh, before they could move in. They stayed there a while, but then they bought a piece of land in the neighborhood. Uh, uh, most of these people lived on Patterson Way and various places over there. Some of the, uh, those individuals still live there. Uh, now I think it's predominantly uh, a, a Hispanic uh, population that lives over there, but there were uh, there was it was originally African American, and uh, long story short, or not just African American, but uh, even uh, African American families where uh, uh, maybe the wife, more more most likely, was Caucasian, and uh, she was married to an African American, and so they became community. They bought a they they bought a piece of property at 706 Lemon Street, and they were paying on it, but they couldn't pay for the property and the rent. So they came out of the rented building. They worshiped with an Episcopal church. One of the uh, Caucasian Episcopal churches uh, was kind to them, and so uh, they shared space for, for several years. And then uh, I, I, I'm i not clear, and I never got it clear, even from the writings that we have. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but Pastor Carrington was on his way to work, past a building down south and uh, saw that it was for sale. And I don't know why he called. Um, but by the time he called the pastor, the building had sold. And the reason I said that is they were in North County. They weren't going to South County. So I'm not exactly sure why he called, but he called. And long story short, they were putting a, a McDonald's on the property. And the pastor says, but you know, uh, uh, Pastor Carrington, I don't think they want the building. Let me see what I can find out. And they put Pastor Carrington in touch with McDonald's Corp. And they said, look, we're going to give you the building, but you've got to move it the day we say move it. And so there were some, well, what they call friends of friendship, uh, predominantly Caucasian men. And they helped raise the money. Uh, it was gonna, And I might be wrong now, but it's going to be $25,000 or $30,000 to move this building. And... By the time it came time to move the building, they moved it in three pieces to the property on Lemon Street. Uh, we had the money and the means, and uh, that that did it. Once Friendship had its own building, there was some other story where they had to put the building together, needed some help to do that, but they got it done. Friendship just started to grow. This is now the 70s, and Friendship started to, to grow. And then they outgrew that building. At the time, EV Free had moved from where they were, I don't know where that is, to where they are now, uh, Evangelical Free Churches uh, here in Brea. Uh, and so that their old building was available. Our members weren't inclined to take somebody's hand-me-downs, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, and so they kept looking, kept looking. Pastor Carrington came to this property in Yorba Linda. It was Orange Groves. And he saw what nobody else could see. There are some pastors in L.A. that will tell you, we, we uh, Pastor Carrington passed away in November of 2018. We had his funeral in December of 2018. But there were pastors that came, and, and as they talked at the funeral, said that he brought us here, and we were like, he's crazy, because we don't see it. But he saw it, and he built it with the help of the people and with God's help. And so we, we ended up here. It was still farmland in many respects. Uh then and developed it and the two the sanctuary and the multi-purpose building were two original buildings i was a kid at a sister church true vine missionary baptist church in linwood probably about 15 years old when 
when uh, Friendship moved here. Um, went away to college, came back. They had this building. I think they had just opened it. Had been, in, like I told you, in Tulsa 10 years, came back. And that's how uh, he and I started this conversation about the possibility of me coming. But uh, Friendship, you know, kind of came. And, and the other thing that helped with the growth of Friendship was businesses started to bring African Americans this way. So there's business happening in North Orange County. Uh, it's a place to, you know, uh, for business. And they would say, uh, if you want to go where your people are, here's Friendship. They, you know, a lot of people, and that just kind of, for North Orange County, uh, there were some that still traveled to Santa Ana, that type of thing, but that, that helped. So there, there's not a lot of us, but not just your Belinda. Remember how close these cities are. I have a lot of members that live in Placentia. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of members that live mm-hmm. in Brea. I, have, I mean, so you, you, you have to remember, all these cities are so close. It is not like uh, the old days where you walk to church. I mean, you you get in the car and that's a 10-minute drive or a five-minute drive. Um, so, so, that also kind of skews your numbers. You got to look at the surrounding area. But now I'll admit to you, uh, your Belinda's high rent district, and yes. I can't afford to live here, uh, uh, quite honestly. Uh, but I do have several members that live here. They just—they're they're not going to be on the the number because it's not a whole lot of us. Yeah. Hopefully that answers your question. I try to <laughs> hold some of that down. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so there is. A small percentage of black people yeah. in Yorba Linda. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's gonna be small. But I have I have people that live in Yorba Linda zip code that are part of our our fellowship. Yes, sir. Yeah, That's... they just they're not gonna. I mean, Pastor Carrington before he passed away, he 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 lived in Yorba Linda. His his uh, widow still lives in Yorba Linda. I've got uh, deacons, deaconess, chairs of, of stuff that live Placentia. You know all that. I serve as a chaplain for Placentia PD, um, and so yeah, we're we're involved. But now I live in Corona. Uh, I, I mean, I've lived there since I came to Friendship, basically. Um, and so, well, no, before that I lived in in Anaheim Hills. But yeah, Squatter Drive. Well, not I guess it's not, yeah, it's not, not that bad. bad. Now that I think about it. No. Let's get. I, I know we. I told we probably wouldn't do a regular segment, but I think this would be a good one to to end on. Okay. So normally we do. Uh, it could be invent with Trent the Gent. What's the best invention of all time? I'm not going to ask you that one. We've done Lent with Trent the Gent. What have you given up for Lent? I'm not going to ask you that. <laughs> um, let's do Dent with Trent the Gent. Okay. And so I want to end this, and then obviously I'm going to give you a chance to give everybody your social medias and you know whatever you want to give so they can reach you. But Dent with Trent the Gent. What do you want to be your dent in the universe? Wow, that's a good story. That's good. Um, I think my my dent is that uh, it is important to me for me that um, first and foremost, I am a representative of what uh, Christ stood for and that I lead this church to be uh, the best that Christ would have us to be, quite honestly. And that does not mean that we stay inside the church. Jesus spoke not just inside the church, but outside the church. We are located in your Belinda, but that's not all of who we are. And it's not all of what I am. And uh, I want to be known for the message of Christ that crosses boundaries, crosses 
uh, lines of demarcation and makes a difference. That's what I want to be known for. I want to be. I want people to say that he is serious about Jesus, but he's also serious about people, and that I love uh, people, and that I lead my people to be about loving people. Uh, there's a song uh, by Jonathan McReynolds that that's, that talks about people. They're the best and the worst you created. Uh, 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 loving and opinionated. Uh, he talks about the fact that we have problems as people. But the, the, my favorite line of the whole song is he says, and he goes through the list, he'll talk about trolling people, self-righteous people. He says, but forgive me when I'm one of those people. And there are times that I'm not perfect, but ultimately I want to be known as one that draws people together. I don't, I don't care what your religious affiliation is, care what your beliefs and backgrounds are. I really believe what Jesus did. The scripture says that they, they always came after him because he entertained uh, sinners, that he, he talked to publicans, that he crossed lines. I ain't have a conversation with anybody. I, I want to be that dude. I want them to be able to say, you know, he's clear about what he stands for. But he's open to everybody, and that's my dent. I mean, uh, and I and, and and that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. I want to be. I want to be that 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 person that makes a difference. And um, the longer I do this, the more important I see it is. I'm, I'm September will be seven years, and so you know, I've, I've, like I told you, I've, I've mitigated a lot of death and I'm trying to lead in real time. And there, this, this thing is overwhelming. First COVID, now. This this uh, this this death of of George Floyd, but this whole idea of African Americans, uh, 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 men and women being uh, murdered and and killed and not given a chance, that conversation is important to me, and I will admit I've not always been as socially vocal as I need to be. That's changing for me because I believe it's needed and necessary. Uh, and, and I have a platform I want to be able to use. Yeah, and that's good. And as you know, even before we began today, I was like, is there anything that we, we can't talk about? Because I want to respect that. So I'm glad that you are Yeah, I mean, you I are. think, uh, Trent, it's been important to me to, to talk. And, and, and I'll probably learn later what I probably need to put a seatbelt on and cover my mouth on. Right now, you got me early in this, right? <laughs> uh, and I might not. Uh, but I, I, I am grateful for the people I lead. They've been supportive. They've watched me grow. Uh, in uh, January, I will have worked for this church uh, 20 years. And so um, it is important to me. Uh, what I do, how I lead, how I serve, uh, the difference we're able to make, that we espouse and, and, and hold on to the truths that uh, Christ has given us while modeling uh, Christ-like behavior in the world. Um, you know, my people will tell you, I tell, tell them we should be the best employees on a job. We should be uh, the best people that we can uh, because we represent him. We re represent Christ, and so uh, that's part of my my bent and my dent. I'm gonna use that. I like it. Uh, I want to make I want to make a difference. Um, and then I think the other thing I just want to add to that. I say I said people in general, but I think that we have a responsibility. Before being the pastor, I spent many years being uh, over children, using young adults, and I believe we have responsibility to the next generation. And I want to be I want to be that voice. I may be uh, a bit of ways from that now because I have the whole whole kit and caboodle to be it but i still love young people yeah i love young people i love what we do and how we minister to them yeah before we end i just because you you said something and 
I always wondered how, if, if one is a believer, how can you, and, and I don't even know if you can speak on this, but I'm sure you have met them, how can you not be for Jesus and simultaneously be for people? How, how can one be like that, especially if they claim that they are a believer? How can they leave out the, the way that they treat certain oh, people? Oh, yeah, I don't know how they do that. Because I don't do that. I think that, yeah. that you you have to you have to look at all of it. So you're saying, and just make sure I'm clear, mm-hmm. you're saying that there's some people that say they for for Jesus, mm-hmm. but they treat people unrighteously exactly. and meanly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how they do that, but I don't I don't do that. I, I even because we all have, like I said, forgive me when I'm one of those people. We all have slips in our mm-hmm. character. We have slips in our judgment and our thinking. But th- that stuff weighs on me. I'm one of those people. I want to get that kind of stuff fixed. Because I want a short account with God and a short account with people. And so I'm quick to apologize and fix. I don't, I don't argue with my wife uh, long because I want to be able to have that fixed. I don't want to have uh, this this thing where I say, that, you know, I love Jesus and I can't love the person. But the, the, the text, the, the, the biblical text says, how can you love me whom you have not seen? And you hate the brother you see every day. Mm. It, I, that can't be the case. We got to at least work on it. And if we have issues intra-personally, inside ourselves, we need to fix that kind of stuff. At least be open and say, okay, this is something I need to address and understand and figure out what my problem is. We may have stuff from our past. I said, and and I'm going on, but I said about there's systemic racism. There is racism that exists in these United States of America that people have had passed down to them that they didn't realize they got. They didn't realize that they had it. They say stuff that they didn't realize was in them. And so they need to be, it needs to be brought to their consciousness. And that, so when people say, speak truth to power, that I think that that's, but we never define that term or that phrase, speak truth to power. We've got to be able to say that our truth is there is systemic racism in these United States of America that, that you, in other words, you are racist and you didn't know it. You're racist and and you were taught it and didn't realize that it was there. And we don't say that. You don't look at the disparities. You don't care about the disparities. I have a problem because I think that we, back to your your original question, that that if we, we, I may not agree with everything you do, but then that's the space where we agree to disagree. Jesus and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, short guy, climbs up in the tree to see Jesus. Jesus notices him in the tree, says, I'm coming to your house to die. The text says, biblically, Jesus don't say nothing to him. And all of a sudden, just by Jesus' mere presence and how he treats Zacchaeus, he starts to spill the beans on himself. I'm going to give him half of what I've taken, and if I've stolen from anybody, I'm going to give that. He, he spills the beans on himself. Sometimes your mere presence will make a difference. I don't have to say nothing. I gotta. I mean, you know, I'm a pastor, but but you don't have to. I don't have to keep saying I'm a Christian. 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 You keep doing that. People are like, okay, because then people start to define what a Christian is based on what they've seen elsewhere. And I think I'm different than every the evangelicals you you may have met elsewhere. I think that I'm I'm different. And and there are some evangelicals that might think I'm not. Uh, I'm gonna use the word righteous. I'm not righteous or holy enough. That's fine. But I'm so grateful it's a personal relationship with Jesus that I don't have to, you know, stress about. Um, but I don't, to your question, I don't know how people do it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It just always yeah. baffles me. Yeah. 
So let's give people a way to, to reach you. So if it's those social medias, if it's yeah, that YouTube channel. Oh, you, you don't even know media. it. <laughs> but if you go to www.wearefriendship.church, that's our church website, uh, you can find uh, a way to, to email me there. It's kcurry at wearefriendship.church, K-C-U-R-Y. Uh, at wearefriendship.church, C-H-U-R-C-H. Um, you can get, that's about the most I have uh, right now, but you can get in touch with me. We, we do have a Facebook and a Twitter and a Instagram and a uh, YouTube. Uh, yeah. That's the church stuff. And yeah. That's all I have. I'm sure if they put in Friendship yeah, Baptist Church yeah, in yeah. any of those platforms, yeah. I'm sure you'll pop they'll up. Find us. Yeah, I, I mean, I take seriously pastor to church. Yeah. So that's why I am. Good. Well, how long have we? We went a little bit over an hour. That's fine. Hour, hour and six minutes. And I thank you for, for I, I ran them late, y'all. Uh, <laughs> I thank you for, for waiting you on me. You don't have to put yourself on blast. Yeah, I, I, I do it. Uh, just in case you go do it. Uh, but I, I appreciate the time and the opportunity. Yeah. I really do. I appreciate what you do, not just with your with your, uh, your your broadcast, your blog, uh, your, your podcast, rather. Uh, but I also appreciate what you do with Black and White for Right. I think that it's needed and necessary. And thank we're going to see how how needed it is because i think the conversation is changing yes well thank you thank yeah. you for your righteousness no and thank you for being you well, and um i'm glad to have this time with you thank share you appreciate you. it enters as always thank you for listening i understand you have other options and i'm grateful for you please continue to share bent with trent the gent with your family friends and colleagues i'm hopeful that I brought clarity and answers to some of your questions today.